Let's pray. Gracious God, you have given us your grace and your mercy through Christ Jesus. You have given us your word. Let your truth and your righteousness, your grace and mercy transform our hearts, renew our minds, so that we may follow Christ in all things. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You and I, from the very beginning, were designed for relationships. And while relationships do and can bring us much joy, we also know that relationships can be one of the most difficult things that we can experience, which is exactly why we need Jesus and his cross. So last week, we explored the most primary relationship And that is from God, from Christ Jesus, through the cross. We saw that we are made righteous. We are declared righteous because of what Jesus has done and our faith in him. We saw that our relationships are reconciled, that you and I are made whole in God through Christ Jesus and because of his cross. And you know what? We learned that that's all because of love. If you might recall, last week, we went through 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. It says, In this is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. This is the crux of the matter. And crux, we talked about last week, comes from the word cross. Therefore, we could say the love of God is through the cross, and all of our relationships should be seen through the cross of Christ. This is how we are to love one another. This is especially true when it comes to to today's topic, which is marriage. Marriage is perhaps the most rewarding relationship you can have, and it is perhaps the very hardest relationship you can have, which is exactly why marriage needs Jesus and his cross. You see, God has given a very specific design and purpose for marriage. And when you understand the design and the purpose for marriage, there's greater unity, there's greater harmony, and there's greater love. If you reject God's design, God's purpose for marriage, not only does marriage break down, but families are torn apart and societies are torn apart as well. So this morning we're going to keep it actually pretty simple. Three things. Marriage is good. Marriage is hard. Therefore, we need Jesus. We're going to focus on two primary texts today. The first text is from Genesis and the second text is from Ephesians. So we're going to go back to the garden in which the first marriage occurred, where marriage was good. Genesis 
Chapter 2, verse 18 through 25, let's refresh ourselves. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So when you take a look at this section from Genesis There are three lessons we can get from this. The first is, it is not good for man to be alone. Look, God had created everything, right? He created the light. He created the land. He created the the waters, the sea, all the creatures that were in them. And God said it was good. He said it was very good. But he said, it is not good for man to be alone. This is the first time God has said something that is not good. Good. Now, we should not take this to think that God somehow forgot. He overlooked something. Nor should we take this to understand, mean, mean or understand that Adam was complaining about something. What we should take this to mean is God said there was an additional step to make this ideal for man. So it is not good for man to be alone. So God created Eve. And Eve, we learn, is of the same essence of Adam. Eve, the first woman, made from the bone the rib of Adam. So she is literally from his flesh. She is literally from his DNA. And Adam was excited. He said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It's almost read like an exclamation point. Like, I know her. And it's not just the physical resemblance. It's because she's made in the image of God just as Adam was made in the image of God. So he recognized the intellectual capacity the spiritual capacity, the moral essence of his wife, of Eve. This is important because a lot of people throughout the centuries have taken this account from Genesis to somehow say that a woman is less than a man and that could be no further from the truth. They are both equal in that they are made in the image of God. So if you degrade a woman, you are degrading a human being who's been made in the image of God. In a like manner, if you degrade a man, you're degrading a human being who has been made in the image of God. 
And the third lesson we get from this is that Eve fulfilled what Adam lacked. He said, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So what does that phrase, a helper fit for him, mean? Well, it does not mean that she is a servant, that she is somehow less than, that she is supposed to do Adam's every whim and wish. doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that she is somehow less than the image of God. What does a helper fit for him mean? It means, in a literal sense, the opposite made to fit together. Think of a puzzle piece. There is one piece and there is one other piece that fits directly together, making a whole. Is one piece of the puzzle better than the other piece? No. It means that they were made for each other. They complement each other in a way that nothing else could ever do. The one fulfills what the other lacks. The one fulfills what the other cannot do. How's that? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Eve fulfilled what Adam could not do. See, in the garden, this is the ideal marriage. Adam and Eve perfectly complementing each other, fulfilling the design that God made. Look, they were distinct from each other, but together there was harmony. They were naked and not ashamed. There was complete union there. But not only that, it's even more profound. It says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast. The word is cleave, hold fast to, to his wife, and they should become one flesh. This is definitely a profound mystery but it speaks to the deepest intimacy that there can be. Marriage. Therefore, the aloneness which God declared not good was made good by marriage. That's the relationship. So marriage is good because God designed it that way and declared it that way. Yet we also know that Marriage is hard. Yes, marriage is hard. Look, they had the perfect marriage, and not long after, they totally messed it up, didn't they? Rather than listening to God, rather than obeying God's word, they listened to Satan, and sin crept in. And a perfect relationship with God and a perfect relationship with each other was destroyed. The result of sin is always this. It is Blame, shame, guilt, and alienation. That's always the result of sin. It is blame, shame, guilt, and alienation. And this plays itself out in marriages in a number of ways. Tempers flare. You start to blame the other. Maybe you've done something wrong, but in your shame, you don't want to admit, admit any guilt. And after a while, alienation really does creep in. And brick by brick, this wall of sin, of blame, shame, alienation is built up. And you want to know when love dies? 
It doesn't die in this fiery blaze of passion. It dies because it's gotten really tired of trying to scale that wall. It lies just pant, just exhausted, panting at the bottom of a wall it could not scale. It says, ultimately, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. And you know what? The devil loves this. The devil loves when marriages fall apart. Listen, if you want to destroy a society, by the way, the first thing you attack in a society is marriage. Marriage truly is the foundation of all societies. Did you know that the greatest single predictor of poverty is being a single parent? There is an 80% greater chance of poverty if there's a single parent. Or put another way, there's a greater 80% chance of not being in poverty when there is a husband and wife, a married couple raising the children. Or even put another way, is that marriage is the greatest protection of poverty. See, when we live according to God's design, things flourish. Society flourishes. But when we don't, when there is blame, shame, when there is sin, when there is alienation, things fall apart. And thus you and I must do something. We must treat marriage as a precious gift that must be cherished, nourished, and protected. We must stand firm in the gift of marriage that God has given us. And the only way you and I can stand firm in marriage is because of Jesus and his cross. That's where we find truth. That's where we find grace. That's where we find mercy. That's where we find forgiveness in Christ and the cross. So if you have your Bibles today, I would encourage you to open it up to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. We're going to do this in two sections, actually three, but the first is going to be wives, then husbands, and then together. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse, starting verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is the first instruction. And it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I know that this verse rankles almost every woman I've ever talked to. Right? I can almost just feel all the ladies just kind of hunkering down a little bit. What's he going to say about this? So just as we talked about Eve and what it means for Eve to be a helper fit for him and what it does not mean, let's make sure we're clear what this means and what it does not mean. We're going to start first with what it does not mean. 
It does not mean that women are to be abused. It does not mean that you should suffer physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual abuse. It does not mean that you should just go suffer along with whatever is thrown at you by a husband. It does not mean you are a slave to your husband's whims or desires. It does not mean that you are to do things against God's desire or will. Was that clear enough? All right. So what does it mean? Well, here's something. It says, wives, this is how it reads literally in the Greek. It says, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Did you see that? That the word submit isn't even in there. So if the word submit isn't even in there, it says, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, how are we getting a translation? And almost all translations have the word submit in there. How, how in the world could it say, wives, submit to your husbands? Well, if you do any Bible study, what's the thing that you must have in any Bible study to understand the words and the meaning? Context. Context is key here. So let's go ahead and take a look why translations actually put the word submit in that first verse. You have to understand what the context is. So the context in Ephesians, Paul is talking to the church. He's saying, now that you are in Christ, do not walk in darkness, but walk in light. And he's talking about how believers are supposed to live and and relate to one another. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. How did God in Christ forgive you? Through the cross. Now, if you take a look, we're going to go to uh, just before our reading today, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Paul continues on how we are supposed to relate to one another. He says, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's how you and I are supposed to interact with, uh, each, with each other. Out of reverence for Christ, we are to submit to one another. Now, there's the command. We think, well, that's fine, but that's hard, isn't it? Because you and I, to submit to one another, we would have to die to our selfishness. We would have to die to our pride, wouldn't we? But yet that's the command that Paul gives now. He says, because you love Christ Jesus so much, submit to one another out of reverence for him. Now, let's also do verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. There's that word submit, right? So we've got the context right before it. We've got the context right afterwards. So thus it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Look, how are believers supposed to submit to each other? We're supposed to serve each other out of humility, with no pride, 
loving one another, bearing all things, right? That's how you and I are supposed to interact. Why should it surprise any of us that wives are to act that way to their husbands? Out of reverence to the Lord. See, a lot of people have used this verse as law. Wives, you must submit to your husbands because that's the commandment. But they miss the gospel message. We don't submit to Christ Jesus just because it's a commandment, because he loved us. And we know the gospel and we know the cross of Christ. So wives are to submit because of the gospel, to serve with humility, with reverence to their husbands. Wives are to submit to their husbands not because you said, I do, therefore I must, but I do because I love you. Or put a finer point on this. You are to submit because you said, I do, I love you, and I love Christ Jesus. This is what wives are to do. And it also says in the verse, verse 23, that God has given the husband a certain role in the marriage. Not because he's so good. (laughs) Just ask all of our wives. But because that's the role that husbands have. So now, let's go to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Now, ladies, lest you think that the last section was a little harsh, I just want to point out that the instructions to the husbands is twice as long as it is to the wives. This is either speaks to the difficulty of this or the stubbornness of husbands. So what is the essence? What is the essence of a husband loving his wife? The essence of a husband loving his wife is based directly on how Christ loved the church. So how did Christ love the church? He humbled himself for her. He gave up his glory for her. He stayed up long hours praying for her. He washed her feet. He comforted her in sorrow. He gave grace and mercy where none was required. And he willingly sacrificed. He shed his blood. He gave up his glory so that they, the church, might be with him in glory. This is how Christ loved the church. Just as our shepherd laid down his life for the sheep, husbands, we are to lay down our lives for our, hus- for our wives. 
See, to be a husband, what does this mean? It means that you must be willing to die. To be a husband means that you must be willing to die. Now, a lot of husbands would gladly say, yeah, I'll lay down my life. But it's even more than that. It's even more than that. We are to lay down our pride, our selfishness, having things done our own way. You know what the hardest phrase for a man to say? I was wrong. It's one of the hardest phrases for a man to say, I was wrong. And the second hardest is, will you please forgive me? It might mean learning just to listen, not to solve anything. But what did Jesus also do for the church? He sanctified her, sanctified her by the word. So husbands, you are given a certain role and you are to sanctify your wife by the word. So what does that mean? It could mean saying, you know what? How about if we read the Bible together? How about if we go to church? And you know what every husband should do and take the lead on? Praying with your wife. You should pray with your wife. Jesus gave himself up. He sanctified the church so that she was holy without blemish. Husbands were to do the same thing. This is hard, isn't it? None of this is easy. Marriage is good. Marriage is hard. Therefore, we need Christ and his cross. What do we find in the cross? The cross shows us the love of God. It shows us grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Let's talk about forgiveness. In marriage, we are to forgive one another. And we are to forgive one another because of Christ Jesus. He forgave in mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is withholding the punishment that one deserves. He forgave with grace. Grace is giving something that is not deserved. Even on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he also forgave in a way that our sins are no longer remembered. You see, in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. I know that there are times that your spouse will do something that's wrong. And it's not only wrong, it's really wrong. It's wrong, 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 wrong. And yet through the cross of Christ, you are to forgive with mercy, with grace, to forgive that your sins are no longer remembered which means you don't bring something up that happened five years ago and use that as a weapon again and again. Just as God threw away our sins, we are to do that with our spouses. Marriage is good. Marriage is hard. Therefore, we need Christ and his cross. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, 
please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com. 